Well, hey, good morning. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. We salute, we honor. Thank you so much for leading the way to support, to resource, to provide, to lead all of your children and all the families out there. So this morning, whether you are a biological father, maybe you're a father-in-law, you're a stepfather, maybe you're a Hanai dad, you're a father figure, or maybe you're just an uncle that plays a father figure to uh, your nephews or nieces or to your neighborhood, thank you. We honor you and we salute you this morning. And because it is Father's Day, it is the one day of the year where dad jokes are completely tolerable and uh, acceptable, all right? And so I have three dad jokes for us this morning. One has to do with space and astronomy, so astronomical. One is a local Kamaaina Hawaii joke, dad joke, and the last is a Bible or biblical jokes, all right? So astronomical, local, and biblical. Here we go, astronomical. Dad joke number one is, how do you organize a space party? How do you organize a space party? You plan it. Planet, like orbits, planets. All right. Well, it gets cornier. Be prepared. Hawaii local joke. Here we go. Did you know that in Hawaii, it is a taboo and it's looked down upon to laugh out loud? Yeah, that's right. Everyone lives and practices a aloha. Aloha. <laughs> All right. Last one, I promise, is a Bible joke. Uh, where does Noah or where did Noah store the bees in the ark during Noah's flood? Where did he store the bees in the archives? Archives. <laughs> okay, we're having too much fun. That's the last one. So, hey, would you open your Bibles to Psalm chapter ninety, verse twelve? Psalm ninety, verse twelve. We're continuing our summer in the Psalm series, and we're actually combining Father's Day and summer in the Psalms. And the title of my message this morning is Wisdom to Number Our Days. Wisdom to Number Our Days. And before we read our main text in Psalm 912, I want to give you some background and some context that will provide depth and meaning to our passage. Now, even though the book of Psalms as we'll read uh, these next couple of weeks, the book of Psalms, there's 150 chapters. Most were written by David, King David, the man after God's own heart. But there are other authors, including Asaph, who wrote 12, the sons of Korah, who wrote, who wrote 11 chapters, Solomon wrote two, Ethan the Ezraite wrote one, Heman wrote one, 48 of the Psalms, uh, we don't know who the authors are, they're anonymous authors, but Psalm chapter 90, verse 1, or Psalm chapter 90 is actually, uh, it starts with a superscription of a, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. So Moses then is the author of Psalm 90. This is the only Psalm that Moses wrote, Psalm chapter 90. And because he's the, he's the one that wrote it, um, this is the oldest out of the 150 Psalms. 
because from the time of Moses to the time of David, there's 300 years, at least 300 years have elapsed. So this is at least 300 years old when it was written. Okay. And the big idea and the theme of Psalm 90 is that it poetically reflects on the nature of God, meaning that God, he is eternal. It says in verse 2 that from everlasting to everlasting, that God has no beginning, God has no end, God is, I am, that God is eternal in nature, and it contrasts that to the nature of man and humankind, namely that people, you and I, were fleeting, were temporal. We, the, it talks about the transience of human life uh, in Psalm uh, 90 verse 3 it says but we are but dust and uh, the human existence it's like the grass that withers and fades away first peter talks about that too and because god is eternal and that we are temporal then um, the emphasis of psalm 90 then is our dependence on the mercies and the grace and the goodness of god that we need the favor and the power of god because we are temporal and that he is eternal all right so with that as a background, let's turn to Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. In the NIV, it says, Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So the purpose of Moses asking God, God, would you teach me to number my days so that I could get a heart of wisdom? Now, this idea of the temporal nature of life is consistent in Psalms. Let's go to our other text in Psalm 39, verse 4. Psalm 39, verse 4, NIV. Show me, Lord, my life's end, and what? The number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. Psalm 39 is a Psalm of David. And lastly, we'll go to Psalm 139 and verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This is the word of the Lord, so let's pray. And so, Father, uh, we need your wisdom. Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And here in Psalms, Psalm of Moses, when we ask you to teach us, show us, how to number our days, that our lives here has an expiration date, that life is not guaranteed, tomorrow is not guaranteed, Lord, that we gain a heart of wisdom. So, Lord, I pray right now that our hearts will be fertile ground for your word to receive and to be planted and deeply rooted in our hearts, that we may be fathers and mothers and sons and daughters, that we might be children of the living God, and that we would have wisdom in everything that we do. Lord, I pray that we would never take anything for granted, knowing that every good and perfect gift comes from you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I read a statistic recently that absolutely rocked my world. Like, for real, kind of like, it shocked me to the core. Do you know what it is? Are you ready? Um, can you even handle this right now? Here's the, the statistic. Between 93 and 90% of all the time you will spend in person with your children will happen before they turn 18. 
let me say that again, between 93 to 95% of all the time in the quantity of time that you will spend in person with your children, it will happen right before they turn 18 years of age. The final five through 7% that we spend in person with our kids will be stretched out for the next 30, 40, 50 years or so. And I don't think the typical parent is consciously parenting with that reality in mind. Let that sink in because Psalm 90 verse 12 says, hey, Lord, uh, teach me to number my days. As we talk about fatherhood, as we talk about Happy Father's Day, teach me to number my days so that I may gain a heart of wisdom. And so what that means is the normal stuff of life, driving your kids to school, doing homework with them, watching them, text their friends, driving them to sports. This is the time that you and I are given to shape their lives. Listen, church, there's no magical strategy or strategic uh, season. It's just the now. It's in the daily, frustrating, exhausting, distracted, painful, overwhelming, everyday, mundane minutes of our lives that you and I, we've been given to do life with our kids. You know, fathers, especially um, all the dads here, just know that, man, these are the good old days. You know, Andy Bernard in the office, he sagely said, I wish there was a way to know when you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. And while your kids are still at home, especially if they're under the age of two, uh, 18, this is the 93 to 95% of the time you'll spend in person with them. Parents, this is it. This is the good old days. Your kids will never be this small again. Your kids will never be, will have, will never have the sense of innocence and curiosity and wonderment again. So have the wisdom to enjoy every season whether they're infant or toddlers or preteen or adolescents or young adults, cherish every season. You know, my oldest son, Judah, uh, who's going to turn uh, 17 in October, he just got his driver's permit. And every single time we need to go run an errand or we need to go to groceries or we need to pick up uh, one of his brother or something, he wants to drive. And we're in this awkward, awkward stage where, where he's learning to drive and it's the most tense and stressful moment of your life that if you've ever taught your children how to drive, uh, man, you better believe and confess that make sure that Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior because you don't know what's going to happen. Um, I, when I'm teaching about a drive, I have my hand on the e-brake and it's so stressful and it's just kind of a nuisance and oh, can I drive? Oh, I like drive dad. Oh, let's go. You know, and he wants me to, he wants to drive and I'm like, oh, I'm all tense, but I've learned to enjoy it. You know, it reminded me of a viral video of a father in Florida teaching his son to drive. Let's take a look. Slow down, slow down, brake, brake! 
what were you doing? Trying to hit the cop? Holy crap. Heart attack. Why weren't you stopping? Yes, stop! Let's not do that. Please. <laughs> Break! Isn't that hilarious? Like, uh, you know, I watched that with my son and I made a decision, a conscious, a conscious decision, a volitional um, decision to, you know what, I'm going to enjoy and cherish these moments we had us with, my, with my son and with my children. I mean, we had a good laugh. And sometimes when I'm letting my son practice driving, he's in driver's training uh, right now, um, I hover over the brake and he yells out, brake, just to mess around. And we have a good laugh and it's good. But these are the 93 to 95% of in-person that I get to spend time with my son. I think this visual representation might help us understand our misconception of not numbering our days properly. So if you look at this graph, this chronology or time from birth to death, we think this is how much time you think we have with our kids. And this is all the time in our world. And we think erroneously that we believe as long as we're alive and our kids are alive, we have our whole lives to spend with them in their lifetime. And it's reflected in our time management. Oh, you know, I'll pay my dues now in my work. I'm establishing and building my career. My kids are still small anyways. They won't remember much of this stuff. So I'll spend time with them when I'm more financially established. But in reality, this graphic illustrates what it really is. You guys see that? That the first one-fifth or so, or one-fourth of the first quarter is the 95% of your time with your actual kids. And the rest, the little dots there, is the rest of their lives with you. You know, sometimes people debate about the quality versus quantity of time. And in some sense, they're both valuable. But I think the more, a more helpful way to look at it is the brevity of time when it comes to being a dad. That the first 18 years of your children's lives, you will spend practically 24 hours a day, seven days a week with your children. After 18, they'll go to college. They'll find and establish lifelong friends. They'll find a career. They'll move to the mainland. They'll get married. They'll have children. And the little dots that the graphic illustrates, those are the times that they come home for Christmas break or maybe they come home for winter break or they bring the family and the grandkids with uh, for Thanksgiving or they come over for Mother's Day or Father's Day. They come over for birthdays. But 95% of the time that you spend in person with your children happens before they turn 18. It's no wonder. Moses says, Lord, teach me to number my days. You can waste your time and regret it for the rest of your life. You can use your time doing what is needed without awareness or order. You can invest your time. 
sowing seeds of love and connection that will bear fruit over the course of your life. And we can redeem your time, buying back the seconds and days that seem like ordinary moments so that we could be present to love, to instruct, to comfort, to celebrate, to laugh, and to cry. So dads, uh, be present. Fight distraction. Be patient. Savor everything. Invest deeply. Redeem proactively because these are the days, the good old days, that you will long to have again. So here's the main point that I want us to live. Gain the wisdom to be intentional in the spiritual formation of your children. This is the big takeaway. Gain the wisdom. Write that in. We need wisdom to parent. And in our wisdom, we need to be intentional in the spiritual formation of our children. The three key terms is wisdom. Psalm 90 verse 12 says that when we ask God to teach us to number our days, that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Listen, you guys, when we humbly approach God and say, Lord, my life is in your hands. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. My very next breath comes from you. My heartbeat, my pulse hangs on the sovereignty of your goodness. Help me realize that my life is short and my days are numbered. I have an expiration date until I breathe my last breath here on earth and I depend on your mercies. I depend on your grace. When we ask God to teach us to number our days, then we slowly make wise decision, decisions and we gain a heart of wisdom. Secondly is intentional, right? Because life is not guaranteed. Man, I don't want to waste away my life. I don't want to squander the gift of life, of being a husband, of being a father to provide um, I don't want to waste away my time, my talent, my treasure. I want to live for you, Jesus, with all my might and maximize what I've been given. Remember the parable of the talents and how um, there's five talents and three talents and one talent. You might not have five. You might not have four. You might not have three or two even. Um, but you have been given one. We all have time in this world. We all have breath in our lungs. And as long as you're alive, you've been given um, talent that you and I must be intentional to use for the kingdom of God. That we must be intentional not only to come before God and just like have this resolve that I just don't help me, Jesus, to not just to exist and take up air and take up space here on earth, but... Jesus, you lived a perfect life I could not live. You died on the cross that I deserve. And you were resurrected so that I could live in the kingdom of God. Strengthen me, Lord, with your Holy Spirit to thrive, to flourish, and to live in the resurrection life of victory in Jesus' name. Help me to be intentional, not to just uh, be doldrum and be like a zombie and just clock in, clock out and be mundane with life, but to live purposeful and with intentionality. And lastly is spiritual, right? That we are intentional in the spiritual formation of our children. I'm not just a 
you know, a, a physical or financial provider for my children. I am the spiritual leader. As the head of the household, you and I, that we've been given authority and anointed to be the spiritual priest, to shepherd our wives, our children, our family, our community. You know something what Jesus said in uh, the Beatitudes? Like, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, I don't want to have financial freedom and security at the expense of being spiritually bankrupt. I want to be a spiritual leader in my home. You know, Pastor Wayne says that an inheritance is something you give to people. A legacy is something that you live, you leave in people. So Lord, uh, help me have a last, to leave a lasting legacy. I don't want to work my whole life and my, when my kids die, I just leave them with my inheritance and they fight over my money. When I die, I want my kids I want to leave in them the call of God. I want to leave, leave in them the gospel and that there's a legacy for generations to come. And so I have uh, two points of obedience and action. The first is this. Would you write this in? Level up from being an involved dad to being an intentional dad. Level up. Graduate. Transition. Move up progress from just being an involved dad to being an intentional dad. You know, John Tyson wrote a book called The Intentional Father, and he lists five types of fathers. There's the irresponsible father, there's the ignorant father, there's the inconsistent father, there's the involved fathers, but there's the intentional father. I think at the base level, for most of us, we have minimized fatherhood to one thing and that is to be a provider you know maybe it's me maybe it's my immigrant mentality but being a dad meant for me that I have to provide for my kids you know growing up in the 90s most of my friends were uh, chair dads you know what that is a chair dad is a dad that after he comes home from work he sits on his chair he opens a cold brew right uh, gets the remote, turns on the sports show, and he just checks out. Like, I have done my deed. I have fulfilled my obligations. I've fulfilled all my responsibilities. I provided for my family, a roof over their heads, food on the table, clothes on their back. Now I just get to go home and relax and not, and check out and not be involved and then not be intentional with my kids. There were a lot of chair dads. You know, they never said anything particularly harmful, and maybe some even made good memories. But investing in their son's character and future was not their priority. Uh, they lived in autopilot. They left their son's formation up to chance. They left their son's discipleship to the youth group or to school, and they assumed that going to work and providing a home and education was all they had to do to express their love for their kids. They sat in their chairs and let their sons grow up without them. A majority of my friends 
were chaired ads. I think today, instead of chaired ads, if we could contextualize it, we have phone ads. As soon as dads get home, they just sit on the couch and be on their phone, laugh at Instagram, go through ESPN, watch podcasts, listen to podcasts, and they're just on their phones. You know, I would think that most of us have graduated from just being a provider and now we're involved, right? Uh, hey, I'm not a chair dad. I involve, I bring my kids to soccer practice. You know, I attend my school's piano recital. I show up for hours and sit in the heat of the Hawaiian sun and watch my kids' soccer game. I support my son's swim meets. And that's awesome. And that's great. Yes. And being a dad is more than just providing and being involved. We need to be intentional. Hear me clearly. Okay. Sports can be good for your kids. Sports just can't be God for your kids. Let me say that again. Sports can be good for your kids. It just can't be God for your kids. What do I mean? I mean sports and being involved. We've, we provide, now we're involved, right? Um, it can be a great place to grow and mature as a person. It could be an avenue where you could learn how to win. Where you, more, important, you, more importantly, you learn how to lose in sports. Uh, you learn work ethic and discipline and humility and teamwork and faithfulness and consistency and the joy of seeing progress and growth and being faithful. It's great for a college application. It can provide foundational life skills and character development that will help make responsible adults. Involvement is great, but sometimes we make an idolatry out of it. We are called, church, to be intentional in the spiritual formation of our kids, both young and old. Here's what uh, Dr. Dustin Benj, who is the Associate Professor of Biblical Spirituality and Historical Theology at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, says, There is a 0.0296 chance that your child will become a professional athlete. There is a 0.0086% chance that your child will become a famous celebrity. There is 100% certainty that your child will stand before Jesus. What are you teaching your children? Sports and involvement can be good. It can't be God. It's good temporarily, but we need to make a lasting investment in our children. I mean, according to NCAA, only 1%, 1.6% of all college football players and 1.2% of basketball players will play professionally. And that's not NFL or NBA. It could just be like a Euro League or they travel overseas. And why are we so invested and so involved and we put an idolatry over sports? We, it's good to be involved. 
you know, my kids, they're in swim, they're in track, they're in uh, a couple different sports, and we are involved. But we put it in place. Jesus first. Church. Your relationship with God first. All right? Now let's go to uh, application point number two. Ground your parenting in grace and in the gospel. Ground your parenting in grace and in the gospel. Now, this action point answers how. How are we to parent our kids? With grace and kindness. And what? It answers what? What are we to teach our kids? We are to teach them the gospel, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. In other other words, the manner of our parenting is in grace and kindness, and the content of our parenting is the gospel. So let's look at the intentionality of parenting from Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord our God, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And in Israel, this is called the great Shema. Shema means the, the, the hero Israel, the, the great hearing. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But we are to teach intentionality with our kids. So we do not ground, church, our parenting in law and morality. In raising children, remember Romans 2.4. That it is the kindness of God that leads us to repent. When we correct our children, when we teach our children, when we walk with our children, we do so in kindness and grace. Grace is a gift that's undeserved. And it's not morality. That we, we ultimately, our goal is that we have good moral children good, moral, responsible adults. You know, the purity culture of the 90s, um, in response to the sexual revolution and in response, almost like a pendulum, it swung the other way, um, that they had this purity culture. I I think the culmination of that was a book by Joshua Harris called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And they would have purity rings and all teenagers, the Jonas Brothers had purity rings and, and they, they couldn't even date unless you're planning to get married. And the, the pendulum swung the opposite way from, you know, completely just sleeping around to complete purity. Don't even date unless you want to get married. Don't even kiss. Don't even hold hands. None of that. And uh, it was just what resulted from that uh, was this thing called kind of like a moral therapeutic deism that hey just be a good person be a good guy be a kind guy and uh man i i know personally of people that grew up and never had a boyfriend or never had a girlfriend 
and they marry their wife they didn't sleep around they didn't have premarital sex and and uh, they just went and they tried to be good moral Christians and uh, they end up getting a divorce and like oh, God how could this happen I tried to be a good person I tried to follow the Ten Commandments I tried to uh, I did everything I tried to be pure had purity rings and all these things and the goal was morality and not believing in the gospel uh, hey it's Father's Day you know I know I started with dad jokes and everything but that's not what a dad it includes dad jokes and being fun but that's not what it all encompasses I love you and because I love you I'll tell you the truth and here's the truth hell is filled with good moral people Heaven is filled with sinners who repented and believed in the gospel. And our goal when we parent our kids is we, we, we are kind to them. That we don't give them what they deserve. That we're harsh with them. But listen, parenting involves being gracious and being kind with our words with our actions with our thoughts but and the way that we do that is doing it in the gospel um, just last week uh, my son uh, Noah uh, brings home they, he took Ezra our seven-year-old so we have a 15 year old and a seven-year-old oh he just turned eight yeah eight-year-old uh, brought him to the park and then the little brother, you know, he wasn't getting any attention from his older teenage brothers. And the teenage brother was like, yeah, get out of here. You're such a nuisance. Get out of here. Uh, we don't, you know, and just kind of brush him to the side. So he did, and he felt rejected. So he did something that made him feel, uh, that got him attention. So he started saying, oh, I'm going to kill you. I hate you. And started cursing and dropping S-bombs and and saying stupid and and so he could it was provocative and he could get attention and um, this was our eight-year-old and so Noah's like hey if you act up I'll bring you home so he brought him home he's all crying crying and he's been naughty and Noah explained to me what happened and I uh, gotta be honest, my initial reaction was I'll wash his mouth, I'm gonna give him spankings, lay down, I'll give him the belt. But I said, I knelt down to his eye level. I said, hey, Ezra, like, listen, we love you so much. Jesus loves you so much. You don't have to do anything to be accepted by other people. God accepts you just as you are. Listen, you are a kind boy. You are a good boy. You're tender-hearted. You have such a sweet and tender spirit. That is not you acting up, saying all those things, being mean and, and getting attention. Jesus loves you, and there's nothing you can do for Him to love you any less. Right? And there's, there's nothing bad that you can do that for him to love you any less. There's nothing good that you can do to, for him to love you even more. His love for you is constant. Dad's love for you is constant. Mom loves for you is constant. And you, you might have fallen, but this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to change our hearts. 
and the bad words that came out of your mouth. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the only way to fix a dirty mouth and a bad mouth is a dirty heart. And only Jesus can do that. So did you want to pray for Jesus to change your heart? And so he was crying and crying. I said, yes. And so I prayed over him. I gave him the just affirming long hug. And he said, okay, dad, thank you. And then um, my son Noah was surprised, you know, that I just didn't wail on him and just go off on him. And then he ran to his room, Ezra did, and he started crying some more. And then I had to get him again. And it's like, oh, I'm so rotten. I'm so bad. I don't deserve it. It's like, hey, this is grace. This is the good news. This is why Jesus, this is the, exactly the reason why Jesus came. And so that is the gospel. Our ultimate goal is that we raise passionate Christ followers, that our sons and daughters, yes, they will be responsible. Yes, they'll have a good paying job. Yes, they'll have a family of their own. But our goal is not for them to be moral or to be responsible. Our goal for them is that they would be passionate Christ followers. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And so Psalm 90 verse 12 Teach us to number our days, O Lord, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So gain the wisdom to be intentional in the spiritual formation of our kids. Level up from being um, an involved dad to being an intentional dad. And ground your parenting in grace and in the gospel. All right. And so that we could have a heart of wisdom parenting our children. And so I have a, a poem here. It's called Tomorrow by Edward Guest. And it kind of captures what it means to teach us to number our days. He was going to be all that a mortal could be tomorrow. Nudge would be kinder or braver than he tomorrow. A friend who was troubled and weary he knew who'd be glad of a lift who needed it too, on him he would call to see what he could do tomorrow. Each morning he'd stack up the letters he'd write tomorrow, and he thought of the friends he would fill with delight tomorrow. It, too, it was too bad indeed he was such a busy day, and he hadn't a minute, a minute to stop on his way. More time I'll give to others, he'd say, tomorrow. The greatest workers this man would have been tomorrow. The world would have known him had he ever seen tomorrow. But the fact is he died and faded from view. And all that he left when living was through was a mountain of things he intended to do tomorrow. Come before the Lord now. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. And we do ask right now for your Holy Spirit to give us grace and strength. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen all of our men, that you would encourage them, all the parents, whether they're Hanai parents or aunties or uncles, whether they're um, father-in-law, stepfather, whatever they may be, Lord, father figure. I pray, Lord, that they would uh, just share the, the gospel, the goodness of Jesus Christ his life, his death, his resurrection, and that we could thrive in his kingdom. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us this Father's Day. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord give you peace. All right, go with God and God will go with you. Love you. Have an amazing week.